0: It's an interesting space because usually you don't, somebody wants to buy something, you're usually, you just want to sell it to them. But with email, it's like, oh, you want to buy? Okay, now I'm going to ask you a bunch of annoying questions and then I'll decide if I want to sell you or not.
1: Today on Inboxing, Danny Tal, Chief Revenue Officer at OnGage. Welcome to Inboxing, the podcast about email marketing. I'm Hillel Berg. Today's guest is Danny Tal from OnGage. OnGage, I you know, I won't talk about OnGage, I'm sure he's going to speak plenty about OnGage, but it's a very unique platform. And he's going to talk today all about the understanding the email marketing landscape, a uh, technology landscape, because there's a lot, it's really a behind the curtain look about vendors and how emails get sent. And uh, just For without, we really appreciate him coming today. So without any further ado, here's Danny Tal. Danny, welcome to Inboxing.
0: Hi Hilel. how are you? Thanks for uh, having me join you.
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, it's nice to do a morning. Very often uh, it's a light, it's a night event. These um these these uh, recordings. So it's nice to be uh, during the daytime.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, def-
1: so, all right, so let's get started. All right. Okay, so Danny, tell us how did you get involved in email marketing?
0: Okay, so I've been working with Ongage for um, nine years actually I think it was somewhere around February that uh, nine year mark so that so I I, I, I would call myself an email veteran uh, it's been uh, quite a journey Ongage is an email marketing software we'll talk a bit about more of that uh, down the line but overall you know we host hundreds of clients over the years thousands of clients, different verticals different sizes uh, different types of email marketing needs, Almost any type of email marketeer you can think of is either used or is using OnGage or or we talk to. Sometimes it's just not a good fit for the obvious reason. We'll also get into that. So kind of client-facing, uh, I've personally been involved in onboarding clients, in, in helping them get started, in understanding their needs, in developing our own roadmap, you know, for building further functionality. But I guess you can say that about almost anyone that's been working at almost any big ESP. In that sense, OnGage is not is not that unique, although it's it's an amazing experience. The extra uh, kind of twist to my experience, I guess, which is almost kind of the extra twist of OnGage, uh, is that OnGage is is a, a, a full email marketing solution. By the way, you asked me again, what is OnGage at the end of this talk? Uh, I'll be able to summarize it in one sentence because we, we'll be talking about all these different kind of building blocks. But what really makes OnGage unique is the fact that we're plugged into a lot of different SMTP relays. And putting aside, you know, the OnGage added value, for my personal experience, it means that One, we have relationship with dozens of SMTP relays that are integrated into OnGage uh, on one hand and kind of, you know, forging these relationships, building them, getting very intimate, uh, both both personally and professionally with various SMTP relays out there. And then on on, on the other hand, recommending to our clients which ones they should use. Uh, And that's very interesting because we're going to be talking a lot about deliverability, different uh, sending platforms, why are they different? And when you take that kind of extra part on top of everything that you know, most ESPs do, that becomes very interesting. So that's kind of, you know, that's a bit about my background, and and we'll touch a bit more about that, I guess, uh, as we go along in the talk.
1: Yeah, it just reminded me, like I just spoke to uh, Ben Rogers from uh, Inbox Road. Yeah. Uh, they might be coming on the podcast. I mean, Ben himself or someone from Inbox Road might be on the podcast coming up. But what was interesting, he mentioned that he had uh, a bottle of Israeli wine. Uh, oh, yeah. that he got from yeah, yeah so he got into a whole discussion about kosher wine and what does that mean and it was uh it was, yeah so just yeah just the personal example of your connections with these SMTPs. yeah i,
0: I you know i want to add on that if you think about it i don't know there's you know five ten top smtp relays in the world which essentially all do the same thing and all are each other's competitors and that's a pretty interesting task because OnGage, in a sense, is a platform that allows marketeers to A-B test, uh, to use them simultaneously, uh, which is a huge benefit for any email marketeer. But then, you know, like I'm talking to SparkPost about our relationship, and SparkPost know that we have a relationship with Mailgun, with Amazon, with Inbox Road, and, and the same goes for all of them. How do you keep everybody happy? Because, you know, like all of these SMTPs are actually sending us a lot of business Uh, We're sending them a lot of business because of the synergy of the platform. But, but we are in a sense allowing our clients to very easily migrate from one SMTP to the other. And that's always kind of been, you know, a a game changer in the email space on one hand. And in, in the very beginning, you know, all these SMTPs were very weary about plugging into OnGage for that very same reason. I think what I think we proved to everyone over the years that we essentially, we made the pie bigger. For for all the SMTPs and and at, at this point we'll have to kind of maybe go on a bit to the next question so that
1: that'll add up and so, make sense. So every, we'll everything will make sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So start explaining. Yeah, you know, what is an SMTP? Okay. What's what are these things? I, I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> all right.
0: So uh, I guess maybe let's go kind of you know uh, back back back. I won't go. I'm not going to do like you know a brief history of email marketing, but but just to touch on it because we can't ignore you know like. Uh, the context, okay? So I don't know, first email was sent 46, 47 years ago. Uh, first commercial email marketing probably started around, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And think about how technology evolved. Forget the last 30 years, the last 10 years, the last five years, you know, like digital digital advertising, you know, digital media. There's been huge, huge, huge uh, evolution and, and uh, technological improvements. And Think about the email marketing landscape, which, by the way, it's not even fair to call it email marketing anymore. You should probably call it messaging because email is one part of it. It, it equally evolved. And as it evolved, it's kind of chicken and the egg. You know, on one hand, uh, you have things, primarily data uh, that you have, but you don't have the technology to crunch it or to actually use it, use it. So, So I guess that's kind of one thing that pushed technology. And on the other hand, you have just technology evolving on its own. Kind of catching up with what's going on with the whole uh, online world, and, and these are drivers to some things that happen. Now I'm going to really touch base, primarily focusing on the email side of things, and keep it very high level. So let's start with ESP and SMTP relay. I guess these are the two kind of you know most ancient uh, or, or, or basic or fundamental technologies for sending out emails. So an ESP, which is an abbreviation for email service provider, which is I guess today is a very generic name for just like an email marketing software. So uh, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, you have a list and you're sending that list a bulk newsletter. That's kind of, you know, bulk mailing. Uh, It's very stupid, no segmentation, just kind of, you know, one size fits all scenario, which was great at the time. There was no spam traps, no delivery issues. Whoever was involved, you know, it, it was an amazing marketing channel, almost free, You pay for technology, but, you know, there's no media cost to it. And all your mails are hitting the inbox. So essentially, an ESP would give you basic, you know, database management. Maybe as the years evolved, of course, ESPs became more and more advanced. So they would have, you know, segmentation tools, how to slice and dice your database, a whole slew of additional functionalities, anything from, you know, like A-B testing, suppression lists, Pretty much anything you can think about, and uh, analytics—you know, uh, analytics is a big thing. It's not just about opens or clicks. It's about you know, is this subject line working better than that subject line? Is this link more attractive than that link? And uh, analytics in in email is almost never-ending. And as as you know, time goes on, it becomes more and more complex on one hand, but critical on the other to be successful. But in a nutshell, an ESP is a, is a software that would allow you to send bulk newsletters. SMTP relay on the other hand which was primarily designed to handle transactional type mails. So it's it's almost like an ESP in the sense that you know it sends out emails but it's not intended for marketing. It doesn't have any database management, any marketing uh, capabilities or tools and it's primarily uh, designed for transactional mails. Okay so let's say anything from like I don't know confirm password Confirm purchase, send receipt, double opt-in. A lot of these types of um, actions are not necessarily handled by marketing teams. A lot of times they're actually handled by IT teams. And there's kind of a separation, or there was, we'll get to it, not anymore, but it was a separation between these kind of purely technical transactional send-outs uh, versus the the marketing side of it, for whatever purpose, by the way. Marketing in email could be anything from, you know, lead gen, branding, retention. These are primarily kind of the three types you see. All of that was really good and everybody was happy. I don't know, there's today hundreds of ESPs, you know, there's one in every country with a local language. Uh, there's one, uh, S, uh, you know, small, big, uh, uh, vertical centric, but pretty much it is what it is and there's huge competition between them and clients are constantly kind of, you know, moving from one to another. We'll, we'll talk about that in, in a second as well. But that's, that's where that ended. Now, I don't know, five years ago, maybe more, there was this whole buzz about marketing automation platforms. And marketing automation platforms, they add probably two fundamental things to the mix. One, they're no longer limited to the realm of email. They are now, uh, they're now kind of omni-channel marketing, primarily SMS and push, but there's also other channels, um, even call centers. I have to tell you this really interesting story. I was browsing on, I think it was HubSpot. I was browsing on HubSpot website. And while I'm browsing, I get a phone call from a call center, which, you know, to me, it's not very spooky. Today, nothing is, you know, everybody knows what you're doing and where you are. But that was, I don't know, five years ago, I think four years ago. And I I was actually surprised by how efficient it just, you know, like, so so that's it. You know, uh, if you think about it, somebody is doing something, you know he's doing it, that has to has to be translated into an output, and that output is message. And it doesn't matter if you're getting a, a real-time email or you're getting an SMS or you're getting a phone call from somebody. It's an output of a, of a messaging channel. But the idea is that, again, marketing automation uh, platforms, so on one hand, they have that you know additional output, which is not limited to email, but, but they're called marketing automation because they add the component of automation. Which is starting to use what's known by many names—you know, drip campaigns, events and triggers, uh, various automations, rule-based uh, journeys—but as opposed to tomorrow at 10 a.m., I'm going to send a newsletter to everyone. Uh, marketing automation means that I'm building kind of a journey, okay? So, which is rule-based. So, but it's still it's still on a segmented level and not on an individual recipient level. Okay. Or kind of maybe a hybrid of both. So let's say I have a welcome email sequence. All right. Somebody registered on an e-commerce website and and somebody for the very first time registered. So you have kind of an anonymous uh, web visitor. Maybe he was there five times before. Maybe he put something in his shopping cart, but he's still anonymous. And then he fills out a form and registers. And now I want to trigger off of that an automated cadence. Uh, But it's uh, it's rule-based in the sense that I can do something like, I don't know, the moment he signed up, I'm going to send him a transaction. I'll thank you for signing up. Um, but from this point on, it's going to be based on his behavior or her behavior. All right. So maybe they signed up and didn't put anything in the shopping cart. I want to wait two days and send a promo. Maybe they put something in the shopping cart, but didn't check out. I'm going to wait. Maybe I want to send them an SMS now because it's more efficient. Uh, but you get the idea. So for it's, it's almost kind of a, you know, if they did this, do that. If they didn't do this, do that. And, and and reminding you that in this cadence, it's not just email. It's additional marketing channels or communication channels. The reason I'm saying it's, it's kind of hybrid between segment-based and really kind of individual people because it's still an individual journey, uh, but you're thinking of your database in terms of segments, not individual people. So, you know, maybe I build a rule but that very same rule applies to 5,000 people, you know, because we put something in the shopping cart, didn't check out. It's, it's that simple. I'm not taking into account 200 additional data points that exist out there. Maybe I know them, maybe I don't know them, but they are out there. Um, so that's marketing automation. It's interesting that there's no clear cut between ESP and marketing automation. It's a lot of buzz because it's, uh, you know, every, every, first of all, ESPs and market, I would say you know generally marketing software platforms also evolve in time over time you know so take SendGrid for example everybody knows SendGrid purely as an SMTP relay one of the biggest ones in the market about five years ago they launched and I think they called it newsletter app but it, but essentially it's it's kind of a front end where you can build newsletters do everything that an SMTP does. And it's, it sits on top of their SMTP relay. The moment they launched it, they didn't do a public announcement to say, we're no longer an SMTP, we're now an ESP. They mm-hmm. didn't even dwell on that. But in essence, that, that, that's what happened. You know, now they off, the, their service has another layer on it. And if before that move, SendGrid was limited only to, to people that need transactional mails, now all of a sudden they opened the whole world of of. Uh, New potential customers that need an ESP. ESPs, on, on the other hand, over time added more and more functionality. That uh, now they're, you know, they have journeys, they have elements of marketing automation. Sometimes they have, you know, just SMS. Sometimes they have just push. Sometimes they have everything. So I, I don't think there's kind of a, and of course it's a buzzword. So, you know, everybody now calls themselves. <laughs> From whether it's, you know, uh, 100% true or, or, you know, 10% true. There, there's no kind of Miriam, uh, Miriam's Dictionary, you know, uh, clear-cut mission that either you're up on par with standards or not. Uh, I, I think it's mostly, if you're, you know, if you're smart about how you market your software, which is similar to email marketing, you don't want to mislead anyone. Think about the funnel. You're not, not going to say something in the subject line that when they open it, they're going to see something completely different. There's, there's got to be some ratio between how much uh, you can really kind of stretch the truth about what you are. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, you know, uh, marketing automations. Then came along big data. Let's talk about big data for a minute. Big data is, is really, uh, conceptually, if you think about it, everything you do online leaves a digital footprint now i can do something let's say i'm i'm shopping in a Gap website but every letter i type in gets captured even even if i they don't know who i am yet uh, obviously every purchase history but it's not just that if you think about i leave i leave my digital footprint um, on their app on their uh, uh, support systems, on various, uh, obviously, email, uh, even physical storefront. You know, I go to the store. Sometimes they don't even know where in the store you are. You know, you're using, I don't know, Bluetooth technology. So, you know, it's even like I can get an SMS in real time when I'm inside the store, giving me a a discount on a specific product that they know I have intent to buy. Okay. Uh, and, and how do they know oh. I to buy? Maybe they know it because of first party data. I put it in my shopping cart in the Gap website, but maybe they know about it from third party data. I, I did. A, I, I was browsing uh, uh, the, the net, comparing prices, asking questions. So it doesn't matter where the data comes from. But well, it matters. There's a lot of legal reasons why. <laughs> And third-party data, but at the end of the day, marketeers, assuming they work, everything is, is legal within within that, that country's uh, legal framework, they have a lot of data. And now the challenge becomes not, not getting data, but translating data into action. action. So it's always kind of, you know, the, the technology is always kind of, you know, one step behind uh, crunching that data and not only crunching that data into segments, okay? Because everything I said, is true for ESPs and it's true for marketing automation. You know, if you think about it, I can take everything I said, push it into my ESP and create a segment. Okay, so show me everyone that wanted to buy a camping tent in the last week and did this and did that and did this and I'll have a small segment and I can send them an offer. I can do that with an ESP, but it's just going to be too cumbersome. Uh, The technology wasn't intended for that. Uh, So that's where CDPs come along. So CDP. Is kind of, and that's I guess the, the latest buzzword of 2020, 2021. So CDP is really what they do is three things. They collect data from all different sources, okay, and email, CRM, payment, website, mobile apps, customer service, different market tech systems. And by the way, it's not trivial that they collect it because, like I said, anyone can manually collect data from all these sources and then manually or through an API call Push It to their ESP or, or marketing automation platform. But just that uh, in some cases is, is impossible or in other cases, just a huge uh, time-consuming uh, uh, human task. Uh, so CDPs pretty much, they, they know how to collect all that data from different sources. They know how to take all that data, crunch it into a single customer journey and then they know how to translate that into an action, okay? Now, the CDPs are, are mostly transactional, if you think about it. It's not just segment-based. You know, all these people fall into this segment, and then tomorrow at 10 a.m., I'll send them this email. Or, or a marketing automation will say, you know, one day after or two days after, here we're taking it another step forward. Like I said, I know that you have intent to buy this shirt, I know that you put it in your shopping cart. I know that you're also browsing the website and looking at our competitor's shirt. Maybe you bought in the past. Maybe you didn't buy. You know, I take all of these data points. I obviously I can create kind of the rule set behind them. Then it's gonna it's gonna trigger them in real time. Okay? Yeah. In real it's time.
1: like it's like predictive modeling. Like we know a person does this, this, and this. Like he's yeah. likely to do this. So let's send them an email yeah. now. To uh, get him. Yeah,
0: that, that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much the case exactly so think about it it sounds like almost like a dream right why isn't everybody using cdps it's you know, it's like why isn't everybody driving a ferrari well <laughs> 99% of the people don't need a ferrari you re- right. I mean, putting aside you know the, the show but you really don't need a ferrari you need a ferrari if you're going to be you know driving uh, 200 miles per hour or you need you know like a humvee if you're going to be conquering uh, mountains <laughs> So it's really about um, it's really about kind of a, a good fit, you know. So th- there's a good fit for every need, and there's still a huge market like SMTPs, ESPs, marketing automation, CDPs. They all have room in to, in the market. They uh-huh. all have more reason to exist, and there's still dozens of them. I'm, I'm not even talking about tiny niche ones like leading, leading brands, and, and they're thriving and overall you know like there's uh, a lot
1: of room to grow
0: yeah but there is a shift in it and and slowly you see kind of the, the change happening
1: yeah no there's definitely is a shift, but I think what you're really pointing at is that you know companies that could do CDP need enormous amounts of data and enormous anal- analysis you know yeah, capabilities exactly. and it's just not in the reach of, of most companies you know but but yeah when you get an email from uh you know i don't know what you know name the brand amazon but uh yeah they're using tons of um of data you know big data analysis to figure yep, stuff definitely. out and, and get you to buy i'm sorry i might have missed it <laughs> i apologize but can you just explain a little bit the difference between ESPs and SMTP, like, can any can any SMTP relay become an ESP, or yeah. like, it's okay. not exactly? Yeah, just want to so, try to understand that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a
0: good point. So think about it. If, I, I said before, uh, SMTP relay is a, is a technology or a software for sending out emails without the the marketing component. Okay, and it was intended for transactional. Now there's a lot of companies out there that actually use SMTP relays as is for marketing purposes. They just kind of build their own, uh, if you will, marketing software on top of it. Uh, and usually you mentioned Amazon. I, I don't know what, you know, Amazon or, well, Amazon have their own SMTP relay. Yes, right. They're probably using that. But, you know, there's a lot of big technological companies by their very own nature They have the in-house resources, they have the know-how, and then they actually prefer using an SMTP relay and building their own super customized technology stack on on top of that. So rather than, you know, RFPing, you know, 20 different uh, ESPs and and compromising on my must-have, nice-to-have, I'm just going to build my own dream platform and I'm going to leave the deliverability for someone that knows deliverability, which is the SMTP relays, and, and they do an amazing job on that. And so so that's another use case for SMTPs. But think about uh, most SMTPs are very limited with who they can sell to. You can either sell for marketeers that need transactional type of mailing or for developers that need to develop their own front end on top of that. So what they did is they realized they're missing uh, revenue potential and either they're partnering up. Or they're buying or they're building their own kind of front end. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned SendGrid, Mailgun bought Mailjet, probably for that very own reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dating
1: f- myself, but I remember when I was working at, you know, uh, this is about 10 years ago, we used something called CritSend. I don't know if they're still yeah. around. Or they're, yeah. They're still around? Yeah. I think so. They're French, I think. Yeah. It was, yeah, because it's like pennies per email. Like it was yeah. super cheap. Yeah. Exactly. So. That's why it's popular. I right, yeah, keep going. I'm sorry I cut you off there, but yeah. go ahead. You know, so, so that's pretty much
0: the difference, but that actually leads me to another very interesting um, part of that, that kind of uh, landscape. And that's, the, I guess, the difference between cloud host, cloud hosted, and on-premise solutions. So everything I talked about is cloud hosted. Uh, cloud hosted in the sense that, you know, I'm paying... Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So, you know, I'm paying a company, usually CPM model or per contact model, it it, uh, it it varies, and I'm buying their software. I'm using, well, leasing, usually it's leasing their software. I'm leasing their software and services, and they handle my email marketing needs. And it's usually hosted on their servers, hence it's called a hosted solution. On-prem, on the other hand, means that I actually build, or not necessarily build, but I have my own email solution, okay? So... Take an SMTP relay and break it down to its core components. So you have an MTA, which is the actual sending software. You have IPs, which you know anyone that sends an email is sending them off an IP, uh, shared or dedicated. And then you have you know someone that knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> uh, delivery is is, is a very big deal. Yeah, it's not as easy as okay, I have I bought the license, I have my IPs, let's start sending. No, no, it's it, it's a huge deal. But the idea is that I can detach myself uh, from paying an SMTP relay and I can actually do it myself. So I can buy the license. Uh, Power MTA is a very popular kind of uh, license, but I can actually write the code myself. I can buy or lease IPs. And then if I know what I'm doing, either I do it myself or I even actually pay a third party company to manage it for me. For example, Postmastery are amazing at it. What's the benefit of all this? So, from a regulatory point of view, which is actually a pretty, pretty edge case, but I'll start from that, uh, there's some, some uh, verticals that, uh, according to law and regulation, are not allowed uh, to keep data in the cloud. Okay, So you see that sometimes healthcare, sometimes uh, financial uh, uh, verticals, uh, they're required to actually hold the data on-prem. On On-prem is on-premise, but again, maybe I hold the data in my servers on Amazon. So it's not really on-prem. on-prem. Uh, but it's, I, I own it. I'm not, mm-hmm. It's not with the ESP. But probably a much more common use case is it's cost-effective. Okay? So think about it. When, uh, when I'm paying somebody, if I send a million, okay, I pay, maybe I pay a higher CPM, but you know, it's going to cost me a few hundred dollars a month. If I send a hundred million, if I send a billion a month, these costs can really, really start to stack up. And then at some point you're like, okay, well, uh, which is similar to a lot of kind of in-house outsource question. At some point it becomes more efficient to build it yourself and to do it yourself rather than to outsource it. That's all good and true. with The small caveat, you have to know what you're doing. Cause at the end of the day, pretty much everything about marketing, is about making money, not saving money. You know, so you can save tons of money, but then you don't know what you're doing, and uh, you're not delivering. It's not working. So, uh, but but we see that quite a lot. By the way, Ongage can also hook up to uh, on, to any on-prem system, and and it is becoming more and more common. We see that, especially with the big mailers. There's a third scenario, uh, which you know, usually I wouldn't even mention it, but I'll mention it anyway. If you're a spammer and you, uh, like hardcore spammer, nobody wants your business, then you, you're actually, you have to build it your, on your own. But that's, we don't want these people in the industry, but they're out there. So we, we might as well acknowledge it. So that's, that, that's really kind of, in a nutshell, you know, the difference between the two any questions on that yeah
1: I'm curious I mean from when you from what you said it makes it seem like and this maybe explains why there's so many ESPs popping up because it sounds like it's 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 relatively very easy like in terms of the power MTA and you just okay you I know you have an MTA you have SMTP buy some ESPs, you know and then you have to build the software but that's like sort of almost the easiest part yeah I mean, well, or really, that's the hard part but the other parts are easy that's what I mean yeah uh, well
0: you, you know you know the cliche not, nothing is really easy of course. But you know, on that point, it's interesting because a lot of the ESPs out there, because it's not easy, they're actually white labeling somebody else's SMTP relay. Ah. And you don't even know it. Okay. So, uh, and I, I won't mention names here, but SparkPost and Mailgun actually, and Dyne, they power a lot of the ESPs. Uh-huh. So, you know, sometimes it's a secret, sometimes it's not a secret. But from the from from the ESP's point of view, they're like, you know, we we can build a great software with all these tools. By the way, ESP marketing automation doesn't really matter. You know, I'm good at building that, but then you know, I'm not amazing at the actual deliverability part. So I'll just white label somebody else's technology, bundle it together, and sell it out. I I, I believe probably. Half of the ESPs out there are, are using somebody else's uh, SMTP technology.
1: Uh huh. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure it's like a, it's a natural fit.
0: Yeah. Which, by the way, is not a bad thing. It doesn't, if if you're using somebody else's, like, you know, I have my laptop right in front of me and I'm using five different somebody else's technology, I don't mind. <laughs> you know, it does its job. So, <laughs> for uh, sure. I guess that that's kind of the most important thing.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. Can you explain a little bit the difference between this transactionals versus marketing and then rule based?
0: Yeah. I guess I probably already did.
1: I think you already did. Also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean.
0: you know, like I said, but, but I, I did in the context really of the different technologies out there. So, uh, but but yeah, just to uh, a quick recap. So, a marketing campaign again. Marketing campaign can be anything. You know, can be an AdWords campaign. But in in the context of email marketing, it's usually a bulk campaign. Okay. It usually means Tomorrow at 10 a.m., I'm going to send everyone uh, a, no. a campaign. Um, now, a lot of people actually think that uh, bulk mailing is primitive, it's dead, it's old, and it's irrelevant. You know you know that saying the right message to the right person at the right time to the right price. You can't do that with bulk oh. mailing. But the reality is that bulk mailing also... Evolved a lot, and, and it and it has a lot wow. of uh, justification in today's market because uh, bulk mailing has uh, phenomenal personalization uh, attributes, w- which evolved a lot. Okay, so I can do anything like behavioral data: people that didn't open, people that didn't click, uh, or people that clicked or clicked a lot or opened a lot. <laughs> I can actually create segments based on it, and yeah. it's about the what I do with these segments. Either I sunset them. Because they're, you know, on one hand, I'm not making money and it's potentially killing reputation, or actually I hyper send to them because, you know, they want to get my emails. Somebody is clicking and opening and I know it's a real person and not a bot. I all, you, you know, again, it, it changes from operation to the operation, but you're all, you all, always want to send as much as you can to the point they're still engaged. Okay. Regardless of how much money you're making, by the way, because you, you could be making a lot of money and killing your email reputation. You could be not making money and building your email reputation. It's always a mix of the two, you know. I'll give you an interesting little anecdote. So one of our clients is uh, Kayak. That's the travel, uh, uh, the, the travel site, obviously. Think about it. Did anyone travel this year? No. No. So obviously they didn't make a lot of money this year, but they didn't drop their sending volumes, okay? So, and and they, and they didn't drop their engagement rates, which is more interesting, actually. So if you think about it, Kayak knows that, okay, Corona will be over. People will will go on traveling. But they need to keep their email reputation up, uh, IST facing, Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo. And they want to keep their brand recognition alive, uh, email recipient facing. So they're sending a lot. Uh, but, by the way, my, my only explanation for, uh, if you think about it, so why are people not unsubscribing? complaining're <laughs> engaging because even if you're not going anywhere you you want to fantasize about where you will go uh, when it's over so it makes perfect sense for them to keep on sending and, and keep getting really good high engagement rates keep everything up and they know they're not making money this year but that's not a problem they'll make money next year right. uh, that's
1: a great, that's a great example just in general for all email marketing that you know yeah. engaging your audience is always really important even if they're not buying. <laughs> you know just exactly. to keep that engagement exactly. up and eventually when it comes back it'll come back and they'll exactly make money yeah it's a great example
0: and yeah so but but back to the original question so you know so marketing campaigns bulk campaigns they, they became smart in in two places primarily where you how you can segment and then the actual personalization on the content itself so you right. know everybody knows that to say you know hi uh, curly brackets hillel <laughs> you know, that's 20 years old that it's not a big deal, but, but personalization can be dynamic content blocks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, let's say again. Let's take the example of I'm Gap, and I'm sending a newsletter. But I know that you're interested in camping gear, and maybe your wife is interested in clothing. Uh, you, I'll both, I'll send you both the weekly newsletter at you know tomorrow at nine a.m. Uh, and maybe it'll have uh, the same structure, but content, both text and HTML within are going to be customized based on your historical purchases, interest, intent, and data. So it's still... For sure.
1: Sort of yeah. 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 So to use that example, I, you know, with clothing, and, you know, clothing companies like Gap, like you can imagine the people in Florida aren't seeing the same you know, email exactly. you know, the that they're getting in New York or Minnesota. Exactly. You know, like exactly. everything is very dynamic and, and, and personalized, like you said. And, which is a great
0: example because it's not only that, it's even more. To, this morning it's raining. So I'm gonna send you like because it, I didn't know it was gonna rain, but I, you know, maybe I'll, I'll send you a raincoat or whatever.
1: Uh, yeah, we're, we're in Israel, you know, just to, to be, uh, I don't know, Giloi <laughs> Naot. But uh, it's gonna get very cold, you know. But unfortunately, the local companies, I don't think I'm gonna get any mails about, you know, you need a coat, you need a scarf, yeah, you know. But uh, exactly. but around the world, they're using these techniques very very well. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on. All right. Uh, yeah, so this is important. Yeah, so what's the difference between a shared IP and a dedicated IP?
0: Okay, that's a good question. Uh, so dedicated IP means that uh, it's dedicated to that specific sender or company or marketeer, which means that if you're great, you enjoy great reputation. If you're bad, you know, it's it's like swimming in your own puddle of piss. It's your problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whereas a shared IP environment or shared IP pool, is actually uh, putting together a, a lot of senders on on one IP. If you think about it, I don't know if you... When we were in in elementary school, they had, uh, in math, in English, they had, like, you know, the, the good, the medium, and the bad. So well, all the really smart kids were put on the high...
1: Ah, okay. shared,
0: shared pool, if you will. And then, you know, occasionally you would have a kid being demoted from the, you know... <laughs> A, a, or, or vice versa, someone that was the top of the low, moving up to the to, to the you know second or the top rate. It's uh-huh. almost the same thing, okay. But if you think about it, okay. if I'm a bad, if I'm in an IP pool and I'm below average, I'm actually benefiting from other people's good sending practices on one hand, and I'm lowering their results because they're paying the price of my bad results. So an ESP would actually try to group together people with similar. Results and occasionally move you from one IP uh, pool to the other based on your engage- engagement rates and, and overall performance. Now, rule of thumb is: uh, it, think about it. Why is there even shared IP pools? You know, uh, all the world is is out. And when I say all the world, it's you know the gatekeepers, it's the ES, it's the sending platforms, it's primarily the ISPs, it's you know various laws and regulations. Everybody wants to punish bad senders. So why is there such a thing as IP pools, uh, as shared IP pools to begin with? Uh, so it's primarily for small mailers. If you think about it, if you're a tiny mailer, you don't have enough traction, enough volume to actually build your own sending reputation. You're not going to get good results. And that's what motivated a lot of the ESPs, it's primarily you know, that those that serve smaller clients, uh, SMB types, to actually group them into pools. Uh, and, and this way you have substantial volume. To build a reputation of that IP, I guess the you know everybody knows the biggest red flag. If you have a client that says, "I send you know 200 million emails a month, and I'm looking for a shared IP pool," then you know, <laughs> you know it's a red flag. Obviously, if you're great, then you would actually say, "I that the Last brand thing brand I want is, is other people to enjoy my great behavior, and I want to dedicate it. But that's that. And you also see a lot of times with the bigger uh, ESPs, you know, they're onboarding a new client. By the way, every time a client moves from one platform to the other or or changes his IP for whatever reason, you really need to start kind of ramping up and warming up that IP. So there are definitely scenarios where you see a big mailer starting with a new platform and they will put him on a shared IP or maybe even some specific domains, maybe Gmail, maybe Yahoo, you know, more problematic domains just to kind of help him uh, accelerate the whole ramp-up process. So Uh it's kind of a nursery. Think of it like a nursery. You know, in the (laughs) beginning, you're sharing, and then once you kind of gain traction on on your domain and your IP, then you're moving to the dedicated where you can further kind of grow your business. But that's, that's pretty much that. It's pretty straightforward.
1: When you're on a dedicated IP, like how do the platforms know who's sending? Like it's, right? I understand like when, you know, like um. Hillaberg email marketing. If I'm sending on a dedicated IP, so they know who I am. But I'd say I'm using a MailChimp and it's a shared IP. Okay. So so they how did you know how do they know it's me and you know all that like
0: uh when you say they, they mean like mailchimp? I mean or?
1: like the Gmails. No, I mean like the Gmails oh, and the Yahoo's it. yeah, like uh, how, so how are they tracking it if not by IP?
0: No, so the, so first of all the 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 ISPs, you know, the Gmail, hotmail, Yahoo, uh Whatever in terms of deliverability, they look at a lot of things, but primarily at your domain reputation, your IP reputation, and and your content in in many aspects. And it's all traced back. Okay, so they know this email originated from Mailchimp, for example. They know Mailchimp is a hosting platform for, let's say, Hillelberg that is the original center. Mm -hmm. It's traced back. Uh, Do they know if it's shared or dedicated? Uh, I I just assume they know everything. (laughs) They do know, really, like it's, you know, talking about big data and crunching data and and all of that. And and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, spam filters evolved so much over time. and, And today, a lot of them, especially the bigger ISPs, they're already AI powered they look at so many different things that they just know uh, definitely where it's coming from, which, which by the way, is why uh, ESPs themselves uh, are very strict on vetting. You know, if you have, even if you have, if, if you're uh, hosting a bad sender on a dedicated IP, you know, as an ESP, you could say, you know what, you know, he's paying me a lot of money. Worst thing he he leaves. What do I care? I care. It, it taints my reputation, even though it's mm-hmm. not a shared IP. It's dedicated. The ISPs know um, it's coming from me, and if I have too many bad senders coming from me, it's gonna it's gonna come back and bite me. A- a- and by bite me a- as the sending platform, I'm probably gonna get. It's probably gonna affect my whole uh, IP range deliverability. And then right. the good clients are gonna get lower deliverability and leave leave me for a competition or complain or whatever. So uh, I hope that. Yeah,
1: it's an important, I think, point to make that because, you know, the deliverability is becoming harder and harder, you know, companies are being very careful who they yeah. and that really, you know, is what you're talking about next. But you know, the difference in the vetting procedures, you know, like, you know, when you're signing up for, you know, an SMTP or, or an ESP, like how are they, what are they looking at to know if you're going to use spam practices yeah. or you actually have a real company doing good things?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, so first of all, like I said, any it's an interesting space because usually you don't. If somebody wants to buy something, you're usually <laughs> you just want to sell it to them. But with email, it's like, oh, you want to buy? Okay, now I'm gonna uh, ask you a bunch of annoying questions, and then I'll decide if I want to sell you or not. But that that's the reality because they they have a lot to lose.
1: Right, uh, they have to protect the have, assets.
0: Yeah. So. so there's a lot of. Uh, First of all, there's two different types of vetting. There's human vetting and there's machine vetting. Okay. You see that a lot with, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, before vetting, there's a lot of uh, different ESPs that are by nature self-serving. Okay. MailChimp, even if I want to talk to someone, there's no one there to talk to me. It's all self-serving. So there's no, I'm not going to get on a phone and, and, and go through that process. So automated vetting by and large, maybe I'll fill in a short form. Maybe they'll ask me a few questions online, but anyone can say what they want in line. They're primarily going to look at my domain reputation. I'm registering a specific domain that I'm going to send from. You know, like uh, in, in my case, let's say it's we're doing a newsletter. So it's coming from marketing at ongage.com. Okay, so ongage.com has history. Maybe it appears on a blacklist, which is, which is a big deal. Usually that's a huge red flag, but it, it has history on it.
1: I'm sorry for cutting off. Who's keeping these blacklists? Like, is it like just Yahoo? Are they sharing them? Is there like a company on top of that that's making blacklists?
0: Yeah, so that's that's a fourth player in the market. So you have companies like uh, SpamCop, SpamHouse. uh, There's a lot of different blacklists that I I would say blacklists. If you think about uh, the, the. conflict of interest within the market. So, you know, the the ultimate gatekeepers are the ISPs. They want to protect their users from getting spam, right? That makes sense. Uh, ESPs, they want to make money, but they know they have to respect the ISPs to continue making money, right? So they're kind of stuck between keeping their clients happy and keeping the ISPs happy. Stuck is not a good word, but they have to mitigate these two different forces. Uh, The lawmaker wants to keep spam out, so there, you know, every country, whether it's, I don't know, the GDPR, uh, Castle in Canada, can spam in America, CCPA uh, in, uh, in California now, law catches up with time, you know, so as things evolve, technology evolves, so does the law. But then these, so I would say the ISPs and the law are pretty much on the same side. Then the spam houses and the spam cops, uh, they cooperate with the ISPs primarily because their agenda is to block spam. Uh, it's not to make money. They're not making money. It's almost like a non-profit organization in a sense. And they use stuff like anything from spam traps uh, through a human complaining. You can actually, you know, you're getting spammed and you actually, you hit the market spam button 20 times and you're still getting that sender and it's annoying. You can actually report and abuse to any of these companies. And these companies will start tracing it back. This message, you know, kind of analyzing the return path, came from this platform hosted on, I don't know, Amazon and the sender is this and this and that. So they're, they're kind of the spam police in, in this whole space, another another uh, layer of spam police uh, that's independent. So, but but back to your question on vetting, so they, you know, you I, I can ask you a bunch of questions and you can tell me anything you want, right? Uh, the proof is in the pudding. So the, the purpose of vetting is not is primarily from the ESP's side, uh, I don't want to waste my time on, on something that I know is not going to have a future. Okay, If I like, think about from an ESP's point of view, they're not only risking somebody uh, affecting them, that's even less of a risk because I can limit your sending. You know, I can allow you to send 10,000, 20,000, and at any given moment, if things go south, I can block you. It's primarily I don't want to waste my time on on someone that's not going to be a client of mine for many years. Okay, so they would ask you about your sending practices. How do you get your data? You know, data is everything. Do you buy lists? Do you actually have your own forms? Uh, are you doing core registration? Are you sharing data? Are you cleaning data? Are you sunsetting data? What types of content you send? You know, uh, uh, anything and everything that will help them assess you as a mailer. Now you can say whatever you want on these forms, but then you're going to start mailing. Now, if you're a mailer also, if you're a serious mailer, not a spammer, you know, the, the, unfortunately there are kind of, I call them hit and run spammers. They'll just tell you everything you want to hear, attempt to send out as much as they can before being blocked. Okay, there's there's that. But if you're a real mailer and you're a serious mailer, uh, there's probably no reason to lie in vetting uh, because you're going to be wasting your own time. I okay, think of it. it's, it's almost like, but... You know, it's not black and white. Think of it like dating. Okay. If you're going on a first date and you make up stories that are, you know, remote from the truth, it's gonna come back. You know, if you're if you if you're serious and you wanna build a relationship, you can't lie. On the other hand, you are gonna dress up a little bit nicer than you usually do. Okay. <laughs> you wanna make that- First impression, and then you know I, I don't know maybe on on the tenth date you you start being a little bit more yourself, but it's not that far from what you presented. It's too far. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work. And I think vetting is 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 kind of like that. Okay, you're getting into a relationship with a platform, and and you want that relationship to be for many years. The last thing you want is after three months, six months, to move to a different platform, start ramping up, start building up. It's it's huge. Effort and, and and potential loss of revenues. So you really want to think long term. And in that sense, you should kind of take that dating analogy, make it a better a good impression, but don't you know, don't make up stuff. But definitely, they will, whether they're doing it automatically or manually, uh, human or AI. There's always a component, or usually a component of both. So even if you underwent that human vetting uh, process, mm-hmm. you're going to keep on being monitored throughout. Okay, it's like okay, this is what you said. Now let's see what you're actually doing. And again, they look at anything from, you know, all the regular email uh, KPIs. But you know, the, the I guess the most basic positives are clicks and opens, and the most basic negatives are um, unsubscribes and complaints. Not to talk about spam traps, which which is huge. Uh, as long as you maintain specific thresholds, because you know everybody's going to have a, a complaint or an unsubscribe, not not necessarily a blacklist listing, by the way, which is different. Uh, so every ESP or, or, or kind of sending platform would have their acceptable thresholds for each of these KPIs. And as long as you're, you're good on that, they would allow you to ramp up. Right? Right. Interesting example, Amazon SCS, we talked about them uh, earlier, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the biggest SMTP relays in the world. And they're self-serving. Okay, we have clients sending massive volumes, hundreds of like even up to a billion emails a month with Amazon SCS. They never talk to a human there. Uh-huh. The, the algorithm actually, what it does is they analyze your results and they allow you to send more or 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 limit your sending or in some cases you can come in the morning and, and you're blocked. You're and shut down. That's it. Shut down. Other uh, other SMTPs usually SparkPost, which are very very good, very involved with their clients. You know they would uh, if something goes a bit bad, them then, them. then someone will actually talk oh. to you and say, hey, you know we're seeing your thresholds of this are a bit down of that are, you know did you change anything did you change your practice you know you should do something about it which is a better way uh, probably maybe it's going to cost a bit more than Amazon but if you're a responsible maybe you want to have that you don't Somebody want to you come talk to talk to yeah yeah Stop
1: and I know it. Ben has okay. told me Ben from Midbox World has told me like that's their thing you know that they're yeah. like a concierge yeah. style SMTP exactly I think that's all they're great at that
0: they're very hands-on very on top of things definitely
1: yeah, and a lot of people come into email marketing not from the from the space, and they have no idea what they're doing. And they just start sending yeah. stuff and, 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 and destroy IPs. And <laughs> it's important to have that coaching up from your providers. All right. Yep. All right, so what should people be looking for when they're evaluating? I mean, especially because the landscape is so wide. What should the company think about when they're thinking about, you know, moving? Let's say they have an in-house kind of thing they built, but it's becoming too much to manage you know like when do they de- you know how should they decide to go to you know Clavio or Omnisend or you know uh, Oracle or whatever
0: yeah, great question so I would say like if I have to take the you know the, the, the probably three four fundamental things I would say it's deliverability okay functionality cost and service service I mean you know am I getting a good service am I happy with customer support now let's let's tackle them one by one
1: yeah, I'm curious to hear about deliverability because I would think deliverability more has to do with what I'm doing, not necessarily who I'm, you know, taking on as a provider.
0: So well, I, I guess one of the biggest arguments in the industry because every mailer that has deliverability issues, he's going to go to his ESP and say, hey, I'm not delivering. And the ESP is going to say, well, you know, you're not adhering to best practices. And they're going to kind of bounce the blame off of each other. And one of them is to blame. Sometimes both of them are to blame, but it's, it's not necessarily easy. Okay. And I've, I've definitely seen instances that you know, and, and I'm talking to both sides. It's not clear cut. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's not necessarily, oh you know you did the, you, you hit a spam trap, your results drop. Well, tough luck, you know, go and fix that. And I think that's a really big deal because let's say I'm using my ESP for five years, two years, I'm happy with price, I'm happy with service. It, in terms of functionality and feature set, it has everything I need, but my results are below industry benchmark. And I know I'm doing everything by the book, okay? And I heard from a friend from the same industry that they're doing much better than me. That's the time when you need to start thinking, okay, you know, maybe if I, if I move to different ESP, I'll have better delivery. Because again, bear in mind that all sending platforms, they say, we give you all these features, we give you all of that. You, you can see it, you know what you're buying, but they're all saying, you know, we have the best delivery. We have the best deliverability. You don't know it until you're actually with them for three, four months and you're fully wrapped right up. So that's kind of a the X factor. And you know that saying, if it works, don't fix it. And then and then there's another saying, good is the enemy of great. So you have to choose, <laughs> right? You have to choose where you are. And digital marketing is always a game of, of constant and ongoing optimization. Uh, but you just have to be very careful if you if you feel, if you're if you know that you're doing everything good and you feel that really results should be looking better, and, and you see that over time, yes, maybe, maybe deliverability is a good enough reason to, to replace your vendor. But that's a really tricky one. You may, you may go through all that headache and after three months, find yourself in a worse situation than you were before. So uh-huh. that you really have to watch out for. By the way, you, excuse me for pitching gauge but I have to because this is kind of really what gauge is all about. You can change, you can replace your SMTP And still in the same environment, it's the same UI, all your various APIs and data warehouses and all the integrations that you did are are still kind of pointing to the same platform. And at the switch of a button, not only you can move from SparkPost to Mailgun to Amazon, but you can actually use them simultaneously and see where you're getting better results. or Or by the way, it's not necessarily, and it's rarely, one is better than the other one is better for this type of operation one is better for this type of client one is better you know if it was that that easy then you would have one smtp and the rest would kind of fizzle out but that's not the reality so that's uh, that's kind of that in terms of uh, functionality i think that that's kind of the ferrari example i gave earlier you know everybody's uh, always you know like uh, fear of missing out i read about this new technology why am I not, why are we not using it? You know, we're missing, there's a party going on, everybody's making money and we're kind of missing. Well, maybe you're missing, maybe you're not. Okay, if you're going to be, if, if there's a 40 mile per hour speed limit and you don't own a Ferrari, you're not missing anything. <laughs> okay. So and I, I,
1: I've, I've actually heard from marketers that have been on this podcast that, You know, sometimes technology is the enemy of of just good, you know, like people are chasing like, oh the newest technology, but like, just make a welcome series, like do the basic things that need to be done. Exactly. Uh, So it's
0: really about your your specific need as a marketeer. And again, you know, like um, if I had the Danny's bakery, okay. Uh, And I don't know, I have 50,000 subscribers and I'm just sending like a weekly newsletter with a recipe and maybe an occasional promotion, you know, that's super basic. Now... Maybe I had, you know, the, the best platform in the world and okay, it's gonna cost me a ton of money. I'm gonna need, I don't know, experts just to know how to use it because it's it's a wrong fit. So and it's not just about the difference between SMTP, ESP marketing automation, and CDP. Within each of these categories, there's dozens of solutions and each one is different than the other. So it's really, you know, and, and, and I guess, you know, all marketeers are familiar with the RFP process. You have, you know, these are my must-have needs. These are my nice-to-have needs. I'm going to start kind of comparing. Uh, I, I guess my only tip would be Know your must-have, know your nice-to-have. If you got these wrong, the whole process is, is is going to be wrong. You're going to start putting emphasis on things that you don't need and miss out you know, on, on the critical stuff that, that is kind of your bread and butter uh, and will uh, improve your results in your day-to-day life. So so that's kind of as far as functionality goes. Cost, that's also a tricky one. Uh, you know the saying, don't step over pennies. Don't step over dollars to save pennies, right? It's the other way around. So... If you're a marketeer, you want to make money and not save expenses. Easier easier said than done uh, because there's always going to be a more expensive marketing platform. As long as that more expensive platform translates into more revenues, then it's a good investment. That's it. Now, a more expensive platform, I would say by and large, can translate into revenues into two cases. One I have exactly the same needs, but my mails are going to the inbox. I have better deliverability. I'm gonna make more money. It doesn't matter what my business model is, right? Uh, the more inboxing I have, the more successful I am, and that's kind of you know direct, better deliverability, better results, better revenues. And you know, just as an example for that, you see, I don't know, Amazon costs 10 cent CPM. But by the way, uh, when people scale up to mega volumes, everybody aligns. But you know, on the on the lower volumes, you have Amazon selling uh, $0.10 cent CPM uh, and then other SMTP relays. So
1: CPM uh, is cost per Per thousand, per thousand mm-hmm. yeah.
0: 50, 60, 70 cents CPM. Okay, it's it's seven times more expensive for the same service. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. It really depends on you. depends on your operation. There's no, mm-hmm. no right answer for that. But I would say this. So, so that's as far as deliverability goes. As far as I functionality know. goes... Uh, Yeah, you know, everybody's going to pitch you the new bells and whistles and the new hypes about this and that. If you need them, Uh, and and what do you mean need them? Uh, All these technologies ultimately do two things. They improve my engagement with my recipients, okay? If I have, you know, the holy grail, the segment of one, and no two people are alike, and I have all the data, and I have everything crunched, and I have everything processed, and I have, you know, the best tools to actually give me the, the, Ideal customer journey, the the values are two. One, my reputation is better, right? Like better engagement is better. Sender reputation means that in turn, my future campaigns are going to get even better deliverability, which is in its own right an important thing. Uh, But of course, it's better uh, experience for my customers. Let's not forget, you know, we're so kind of into the email and the technology, but at the end of the day, you have brands and these brands have, you know, reputation, you know, and they don't want to annoy people too much. They uh, want to give people what they expect. You know, think of the kind of generation gap. The older generations are spooked by the fact that somebody knows I made, I I bought a, a coat and the younger generation are actually disappointed why are you giving me an ad for a coat that I already bought? I, I expect that you would pitch me uh, matching boots. I'm disappointed. You know, you should know better. So so it's really about giving your audience the type of experience uh, they're expecting uh, and, and have better kind of, you know, brand-consumer relationship.
1: All right. So when is the right time to val- to think about moving? Yeah, it sounds like probably deliverability would be the biggest thing, but... Yeah,
0: so, you know, I guess like... Uh, Pretty much all the, po- all the points I mentioned, De- deliverability, I, I, I talked about that, that that's, that's okay. Cost, you know, if you have great deliverability and you're happy, don't move to save a few dollars. It's, right. it's, just, it's a bad, it's kind of bad risk management decision. But functionality, and this you see a lot, you know, a, a, a company grows and as it grows, uh, its needs change. And, you know, maybe today I I just have a little bit of data, but, you know, now I'm collecting more data, I'm evolving, I have, you know, more needs. So now I need functionalities that my current ESP doesn't have. Uh, I love them. You know, the cost is great. I love my rep there. You know, we're friends for five years, but I, I need functionality that my current provider doesn't have uh, and is not expected to develop anytime soon and it's time to move to a more mature platform. So that that happens quite a lot also. But yeah, I mean, besides that, it's pretty much everything I mentioned earlier.
1: You know, from my own experience, yeah, it's all about functionality. It's like, okay, now you want to do, yeah, you get too big for the platform and like, yeah. it doesn't have what you need, and then you you're left to find a replacement. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, I think this is like a trick question. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think you're gonna give me a straight up answer to this. But what vendor has the best deliverability?
0: Yeah, that, that's a good one. First of all, you know, from my experience, I can speak about SMTP relays. Uh, because that's where that's what our clients use, and uh, that's what Engage is integrated with. And uh, by the way, we launched our own SMTP relay. So now, you know, now now that we we also have our own SMTP, I would love to say, oh, OnGage SMTP has the <laughs> best deliverability. But no, that's not the case. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a simple question. If it was uh, likely, there there would only be you know like one SMTP relay. I, I would say this: one, the stricter the SMTP relay is in its vetting process, the harder it is to get into that club, then likely the better results you will have. And and I explained that before, you know, so if I'm, uh, and by the way, through this discussion, let's we're not talking about spammers. We're talking about legit mailers. But even legit mailers are, you know, some are uh, uh, different shades of gray or different shades of white. And think of it about a good fit for your need. We talked about that earlier in terms of functionality, but also in terms of deliverability. Okay, so let's say, uh, a certain SMTP relay is super strict, okay? They only take double opt-in. They only take, you know, clean brands. They, they, they're very strict in who they take on. Uh, they're going to have better deliverability. I would say Spark Post is a really good example of that. On the other hand, if you have SMTPs, and I, I won't name names that are pretty lenient, you know, like, you know, if, if you're going to pay me, I'll take you on. They're probably going to have not as great deliverability, but they're a great solution because there is a market for that. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not talking about spammers. There's people that just won't get accepted to SparkPost. Okay? And they still need the solution and they're still legit mailers and they're doing everything according to the law and, and they're, they even have very successful email operations and, and, and businesses. Uh-huh. And so I guess I would rephrase the question, what's the best deliverability vendor for you? And it's right. not necessarily the, the same answer for everyone. Something else we saw and, and we keep on seeing, even if you take like two, three clients uh, or a few clients that are pretty much the same in terms of, you know, they they have good mailing practices, they're brands, they're clean. And sometimes they're, like one is getting better success on Amazon, one is get, getting better success on uh, SparkPost and you can't even explain it. It's just kind of trial uh-huh. and error. So that's you know, it's a trick question, like you said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess you know, that's your unique, you know, the on gauge like unique thing is that yeah, you could see what you could basically take your list and split it up between like five or six platforms uh, and see who who's doing the best. And those exactly it's like stocks, you know. Oh, this, you know, not yeah. performing, move everything over there. Yeah. So should should I strive to have one vendor or use a few?
0: Yeah. So yeah. You, you know, you just made it sound so easy when you said, Yeah, let's hook up five different SMTPs and see. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. Even if you have a platform like OnGage that actually allows you to seamlessly do them, you still need to ramp up five different SMTPs. You can take, you know, like ramping up is all about taking my more engaged right. users. It's slow. So now I right. engage users between five SMTPs, you're spreading yourself thin. It's, not necessarily, it's actually not good practice. Uh, uh-huh. But maybe two. Maybe testing three maximum or using three for different parts of your operation is is actually better. Now, again, think about it. If I have um, the the reasons for using multiple vendors, I would say, could be for redundancy. Okay, but again, so you're never putting all your eggs in one basket. Uh, But again, if you're a really good mailer, and you're you're a really clean mailer, and you're using a managed service like SparkPost, you don't really need to worry about redundancy. If you're using Amazon Mm -hmm. SDS, you do. You may come in the morning, and your operation is over, and you and you don't even know why. But again, even if you could, let's say I, I have three different ESPs that are not uh, kind of baked into one technology like OnGage, and spreading your operations across them, you see that a lot. Uh, huge companies that have different uh, departments, almost completely siloed operations. Okay, that's great. They're they're not mis- they're they're missing out on something. They're missing data. Because you have overlap. You know, this person is not opening here, but he's opening here. And these these platforms are not talking to each other. So I don't know it. And and, and that data is critical. Okay. So the whole point is that you can actually get one picture of it. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: By the way, some, some companies have heard that use maybe three different, four different ESPs and then crunch the data on the back end. So oh, they're absolutely. not now. But again, all of your going back to big data, everything that person did on, on that ESP, uh, mm-hmm. you want you want that build journeys, build segments, for whatever reason. And if you're and if it's a uh, separate siloed systems, you're missing out big time. So that I would I would not do. Uh, but yeah, you know that's that's kind of I think in a nutshell, the answer to your question.
1: Okay. All right. So what are the keys to getting better deliverability? I and mean, I think we've touched on this a lot already. But do yeah. you just sum it up? So I uh, you know I think to
0: sum it up, I would say this. Spam filters are 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 so smart today. That, you know you know what they say about AI in general. If you ask the engineer why a decision was made, he can't say why it was made, but he can say it, that it was a good decision, right? <laughs> <laughs> because you know all these AI programs are, are designed in, in case of email, keep the bad mails out. Now if the, if the bad mails are out of, are in the spam folder, the engineers are happy. It mm-hmm. used to be a time it was rule-based. It's still mostly rule-based, but my, my point is this. Uh, there was a time you could write Viagra in the subject line and separate it with asterisks and you're tricking the spam filter, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, my, my advice, really, don't even attempt to, to trick something that is most likely smarter than you. You have to be authentic. Like, the only way to really, really get better deliverability is, is put yourself in the shoes of your, email re- of your recipients, and give them what they want. If you give them what they want, you're getting true, genuine engagement. And you're not trying to steal engagement. You know what I mean by... by- yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. I mean, that comes up almost every podcast. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of my first questions is always like, what do you hate seeing in the mailbox? And it's always things that are trying to trick people to open, read exactly. this and... Yeah, so no trickery, just be a good mailer, build good content. Yeah,
0: and, and, and of it. course, you know, the more personalization, you know, personalization and journeys, people expect that. You know, like like, like I said earlier, people today are, are actually, if you're sending a non-personalized email, they're like... Uh, yeah, they're I you know,
1: <laughs> on my own level, you know, talk about personalization. So I live on a yeshuv and uh, anytime they're closing the water on any street, I get to know yeah. about it and I hate it. Yeah. Like, Come on, segment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, Rochambeau, you know, Darbell Street. You know, tell them they're their water's getting shut off. The whole neighborhood needs to know about that.
0: Yeah. So, so. Yeah, that, that's really my. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's a, it's a topic on its own. We can talk about that for hours. But really, my, <laughs> my, my one tip: no, no trips, not no, no uh, tricks and hacks. Be genuine, um,
1: and you should be good. All right. All right, so Danny's key takeaways for 2021. Okay,
0: so let's start with what we just said, you know, give your audience what they want. You know, that's kind of uh, the key to everything. Have the technology to support it. Okay, so if you have, uh, I don't know, if you have a lot of data, and then you need to actually uh, generate these uh, uh, personalized content emails, dynamic content, drips campaigns, uh, automations, whatever it is. Make sure you have the right technology stack. Never be in a situation that your technology is limiting your abilities, and never be in a situation that your technology is overwhelming you. So you know, have the right technology stack uh, for your needs. Another thing we didn't even talk about at all, uh, but you know, there's various kind of yeah. new and emerging technologies, whether it's uh, BIMI, whether it's AM, uh, various. Wow. You know, DMR is not even new anymore. You have to be on top of these things uh, to the wow. best extent that you can. Okay. Uh, I, we don't have time to get into it, but BIMI and M is not necessarily something everybody should drop everything and do tomorrow morning. And there, there's a lot of limitations. There, there's a lot there, but th- these are hugely interesting opportunities. Not to talk about mm. authentication protocols, make sure, you know, your SPF, your DMARC, your, your DKIMs are, are all in place. And I guess maybe one last thing, think of your email operation as a whole. You cannot... Do something like uh, okay, well, you know, uh, I was blacklisted. Let's fix that, and all my problems are are solved. The quality of your database, your sending practices, your technology, everything. At the end of the day, it's one, it's your, you know, your uh, call it your sender's journey, if you will. I don't know, but uh, you cannot detach one part from the other. Everything affects everything, and think of it like that. So that, that's, I guess, kind of my uh, bullet points for next year.
1: Thank you so much. That really brings us to the end of this. You've been a great guest. And uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah, but we're lurking forward, you know, once you know when this releases. I mean, if anyone didn't know, we're doing, uh, we're launching the actual podcast tonight. We're having a launch party, and I'll put the link on my Facebook page and on LinkedIn. And of course, Danny, you're invited, but it's been a great, you know, a lot of learning, a lot to unpack, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> All right. Ilan, thank you very much
0: for the opportunity and uh, have a great day.
1: For sure. Same to you. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you for everyone who is listening and watching and engaging. And again, tonight, we're going to be having a launch party for the actual launch of The Real Podcast, which is now available on iTunes and probably your favorite podcast platform. So have a listen and enjoy. And we'll see you next week. I'm not sure who the guest is yet, but stay tuned on my LinkedIn page, on my Facebook page. And that's it.